Most of this book just feels like Fitz wasting time in recovery. And it's not wasting. It's not wasting. But like. <laughs> he is down a lot. That's he true. is recovering so much of the time. It's a bit more realistic than, oh, the heroes got stabbed. And then next week there's a battle and they <laughs> killed 84 people by themselves and led the charge. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I just, it just makes me feel really bad for him, you know? Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, this whole book makes me feel bad for him. So I mean, the, the whole, whole series. series. <laughs> <laughs> Every chapter, really. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 20, Jean-Pé. 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 <laughs> the epigraph of this chapter is just going into a little bit more about Jean-Pé, things that we have pretty much already learned about it, how it is much older, and the line of the servants or the royal line of the Mountain Kingdom is older than Buck, the Six Touchies in general, and the Farseers. Yes. They've been there longer, and it is run differently because it was based on the ruling and the history of, like, the judge, basically. Philosophy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an old, it's a different philosophy, and it was what we decided an old white prophet who came and was the judge, and they based their philosophy off of that. Right. Um, there is a little bit of correspondence between the idea of sacrifice between the Farseers and the Mountain Kingdom, um, how sacrifice is used is a bit different, but I think that just comes back to the fact that the Farseer line is a bunch of fighters and raiders originally, and the Mountain Kingdom-ers. <laughs> the Mountain Kingdom people are nomadic people who didn't really need to fair on the sea right yep they also go into the physical description of jean pay a bit how a lot of the buildings there are not permanent how a lot of them have you know the ones that are permanent are very brightly colored they have curving walls and it looks like if you came upon the city from a distance and saw it against the mountainside it would look like Bright purple flowers, basically, against right. uh, a mountain backdrop. Yes. And the way that they outline their cities, they leave spaces for the temporary dwellings. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of open fields, especially in the winter, because the temporary people have left to go somewhere warmer, presumably. Mm -hmm. And lots of gardens as well, yes. where people leave little trinkets and toys and, you know, arts and crafts. So right. all of them are unique and different, and they're communally kept. So it's a, it sounds like a very fun town, like an art town, basically. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it would look so pretty. My mind goes to that town in Italy um, that has the white. It's like all white and blue. Do you know what I'm talking mm, about? It's like maybe. on the ocean. I, the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Okay. <laughs> One of the sisters go there. Um, I cannot think of the name of the town, but it's like 
I don't know, that bright and colorfulness is what I think of when I imagine the town. Although they do specifically say, or it is specifically written that yellow and purple is more the color, not blue and white. Yes. But yeah, I think in my mind, it's a beautiful town, even in winter. But before we get to that beautiful simplicity of life, (laughs) Fitz is still walking. Yes. It was nighttime now. He has a staff. This is a, we jump into this chapter in a different place than he was at the end of last chapter. It's another one of those hazy time skips simulating exactly what Fitz is going through. He can't recall all the details in the right orders um, of the events that, you know, when they occurred. He's hazy on some details of, you know, why Night Eyes is next to him, why Night Eyes is saying this or that. We don't get to learn where he got the staff from. No. He's just walking and he's using his staff to move along, just keeping walking. And he says, Night Eyes wove a pacing path around me, guiding my hesitant steps as if it could hurry me. From time to time, he keened anxiously. His body was tight with fear and weariness. He smelled wood smoke and goats. Not to betray you, my brother, but to help you. Remember that. You need someone with hands. But if they try to mistreat you, you have but to call and I shall come. I shall not be far. I could not make my mind focus on his thoughts. I felt his bitterness that he could not help me, and his fear that he was leading me into a trap. I thought we had been arguing, but I could not remember what I had been insisting on. Whatever it was, Night Eyes had won, simply by virtue of knowing what he wanted. And again, Night Eyes is kind of tugging him along by the arms as Fitz stumbles, and he urges him onwards. Please, brother, there are huts ahead and lights within them, fires and warmth, and someone with hands who can cleanse the foul wound in your back. Please, get up, just once more. So Night Eyes has gone scouting. He won the argument against Fitz to go get help from humans. So Night Eyes has gone scouting. And I'm not sure with the events that happen in this chapter, I don't think he directly contacted anybody in the village. He just found a village, a village and then directed him towards that. Right. I, I think that's right. I don't know how he would have contacted anybody. He's a dog. Well, I'm sorry, a wolf. (laughs) (laughs) It was a close one. (laughs) He would have got me for that one. But I'll say it again. Like I said in last chapter and last episode, Night Eyes is the hero here. He yes. is fulfilling his side of the bond. <laughs> I guess it's not a contract, but he is uh, he is fully helping Fitz onwards. And if Night Eyes was not there, Fitz would have been dead already. Right. And it's big because Night Eyes is admitting that he can't help Fitz. Which I think would not have happened at the beginning of this book. I don't think Night Eyes would have led fits in this state to humans. And you can tell that he feels very conflicted about this because he is so worried about Fitz. Fitz notes that he is clearly anxious about accidentally sending him into a trap. Yeah. And that's super fair because Night Eyes has only ever experienced humans out to get Fitz, really. Not all of them, but like 90% of them have been trying to kill Fitz. <laughs> So I think 
that it would be really hard for Night Eyes as a wolf to be able to distinguish what makes a human trustworthy when Fitz kind of is always in positions where he's around not so trustworthy humans. Yeah. So Night Eyes leads him to the village and Fitz is struggling. He is very weak and hurt and is having a really hard time going anymore. He just can't. His body is failing him. And he realizes as Night Eyes asks him just to get up one more time that there is a carved stone in front of him and that it's beautiful and obviously carved. And then there's some limbs of what is probably a summer shrubbery that are all around it. And he notes that something about this, for whatever reason, makes him think of Ketrikin, though he can't quite put his finger on why. Um, we, the reader, know because it's clearly mountain make. He mm -hmm. is definitely in the capital. And probably he's remembering this from his time there before. And at, during that time, as he's sitting there at the base of this, Night Eyes whines in agony. We don't get a thought from him, and Fitz says, I could not frame a thought to reassure him. It took all my strength to remain on my knees. So at this point, he's really fading, right. and he just reaches the edge of this village. And he does not hear footsteps, but felt a sudden increase in tension thrumming through Night Eyes. So he looks up, he sees tall and slender, draped in heavy fabric, hood pulled forward so far it was almost a cowl. I watched the person come. Death, I thought. Only death could come so silently, gliding so smoothly through this icy night. Run away, I whispered to Night Eyes. No sense in letting him take us both. Run away now. For a wonder, he obeyed me, slipping away silently from my side. When I turned my head, I could not see him, but I sensed he was not far. I felt his strength leave me as if I had taken off a warm coat. Part of me tried to go with him, to cling to the wolf and be the wolf. I longed to leave this battered body behind. If you must, my brother, if you must, I will not turn you away. I wished he had not said it. It did not make it easier to resist the temptation. So once again, they remain apart, even though Night Eyes has felt Fitz suffer through this whole day and a half. Right. It could have been longer. Yeah, we I have feel, no idea. We I have feel no idea. like the fact that Night Eyes at the end of last chapter is like adamant that no, you cannot share a space with me has now gone to if you have to, I will let you in, share my body and mind. I think that points to this being a couple days. I don't think he would have survived a couple days, to be honest. I think it's just because at the end of last chapter, I'm trying to think of the time. They were going through a night. He is was lighting a fire and it eventually got it going. And then it was morning. He waited a few hours until his feet and hands were warm through and then continued on. And then we come into this chapter as it was night. I feel like an arrow through your back and having blood frozen to you from all the blood that you're losing like soaking your backside, like I don't think he would have lasted another day. So I think it was just the next, you know, 12 hours, which is enough. Mm. <laughs> That's fair. I guess I don't know. 
it's easier to push someone away when they're not actually on the verge of death and maybe with how close to death Fitz is and the fear of, oh no, what if this was another trap? He's going to be tortured. I could see how that might weaken Night Eyes' resolve. But Fitz notes that as much as he wants it, he cannot do that to Night Eyes. He wants to give Night Eyes that clean break of, yes, it's going to hurt him, but... Another chance at life. At least, yeah, at least he has another chance at life. And he does mention that even having said that and determined that ahead of time, it does make it hard to stick to when you're at the end of life. It's it's interesting because we know Fitz as someone who is so cavalier about the way he throws himself into danger and doesn't really have regard for his life. But time and time again, he chooses life, which I think is really big. I think it's human, but I also think that even in the midst of this struggle, he still wants to live. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty amazing on his part. That's why he is our hero. He is the catalyst. He he has that drive. And even at the end of it all, he defies himself the temptation of going over to Night Eyes and calls out to who he thinks is death. Here, here I am. Come and take me and let it be done at last. He heard me. I saw him halt and stand stiffly as if afraid. Then he came with sudden haste, his white cloak swirling in the night wind. He stood by me, tall and slender and silent. I've come to you, I whispered. Abruptly he knelt by me, and I glimpsed the chiseled ivory of his bony face. He put his arms around me and lifted me to bear me away. The pressure of his arm on my back was agonizing. I fainted. That full description there is so... Beautifully done, because as rereaders, we know this is the fool who grabs him. And we know his skin was white beyond white, pale. And then as he makes changes, it grows a little bit darker. So now it's like an old ivory. Right. Yellowing-ish, not quite amber yet. And with Fitz evoking death... Readers will think immediately Grim Reaper, it's a skeleton in a big black cloak, and the description is tall, slender, silent, and there's chiseled ivory of his bony face <laughs> in that description. So it's yeah. like, what? what's happening here? <laughs> Whenever I first read this, I did not expect this to be The Fool. I specifically remember thinking, that's weird. I didn't know that the... Mountain people wore white cloaks around in the winter. That feels maybe he's like a hunter or something. I don't know. And then the very next like section, when you have more clues that it's definitely the fool, I was like, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) So I really like that as a rereader, it's immediately obvious. How could he not know this is the fool? But of course he can't. Well, of course, but He is a little delirious, but, you know, like first time through, it's so well done. It is. And so he comes back to we go in and out in this chapter quite often because he's so injured. He fades away and comes back to it's similar to a couple other chapters that we've had in. Maybe 
early this uh, early this book, mm-hmm. kind of, but also when he was recovering from injury in the uh, in the second book. Yes. So he fades back in. He can smell tea and incense, paint and wood shavings on the wool rug that he was laying on. And his hands and feet are throbbing. His face burns. This voice, the man, as Fitz describes him, mm-hmm. is telling him, you know, lie still. Everything's frozen. I need to cut all of this off to see, like, what I'm working with, that sort of thing. And Fitz can tell, he can open one eye and kind of take in some of the surroundings. And as the man, as the fool is cutting off his shirt, he says, it's frozen to your shirt, someone muttered. I thought, I almost thought I knew the voice, a gasp. It's blood. All this is frozen blood. My cloak made an odd tearing sound as it was peeled loose. Then someone sat down on the floor beside me. I turned my eyes up slowly, but could not lift my head to see a face. Instead, I saw a slender body clothed in a soft robe of white wool. Hands the color of old ivory pushed the cuffs of his sleeves up. The fingers were long and thin, wrists bony. I will also say that as the mystery man, or the fool as we know him, is taking the cloak off of Fitz to begin with, Fitz notes that his voice was curiously gentle, as if unused to such a tone, which I found really interesting because it's the fool. And so, of course, we don't know him as a gentle person. <laughs> At least Fitz Correct. doesn't. He's very mocking. and Yes. And so it's interesting trash. that when someone, because the fool at this point doesn't know this is Fitz either, that when someone, he sees someone in need, he actually is very kind. Yeah. And Puts away the mocking for a minute. Because it is life or death at this point. Yeah. Again, Fitz remarks as the voice is narrating that the voice sounds familiar to him. Almost familiar, I guess he says. Mm -hmm. And the door opens to the man's room and the man beside me paused. I felt him glance up. You might have knocked, he said with mock severity. I felt again the warm trickle of water on my back. Even one such as I occasionally has other guests. Feet crossed hastily to me. Someone lowered herself fluidly to the floor beside me. I saw the folding of her skirts as she sank down. A hand pushed the hair back from my face. Who is he, Holy One? Holy One? There was a bitter humor in his voice. If you would speak of holes, you should speak of him, not me. Here, look at his back. He spoke softer then. As to who he is, I have no idea. I'm, this is like not appropriate for the situation, but. It's a great joke. All I can think of, if anyone has seen this, there is a video of Kiki Palmer (laughs) getting interviewed and she was shown the picture of like, I think it's a U.S. senator that I'm pretty sure she had been talking trash about on Twitter She's in an interview. Somebody like shows him a picture, shows her a picture and she goes, I'm sorry to this man. I don't know who this man is. He could be walking down the street. I wouldn't even know. And that is like basically what I'm thinking of. (laughs) Well, (laughs) my mind immediately went to Fred and George when, oh, I can't remember who is who, but one of them loses their ears in Harry Potter and then they make a bunch of holy jokes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, Mrs. Weasley is very upset about that. That's all. That's all my mind went to, honestly. 
No. Rereading this. I don't know why my brain goes straight to humor in this like somber moment of like Fitz might die. Maybe because I know he's not going to die. (laughs) But yeah, I just immediately. I'm sorry to this man. He could be walking down the street. I wouldn't even know him. (laughs) We hear an outside perspective a little bit uh, from this woman who just walked in because she says all of that is blood. How does he yet live? And then also takes off his mittens and says, oh, his poor hands, his fingers all gone black at the ends. And he faints again because he does not want to hear that. Right. Um, he is in very rough shape, frostbitten throughout all of his extremities, I'm sure. Right. It's I mean, yeah, to, for frostbite to get bad enough to turn your fingertips and your toes black, he would have had to be out in the cold for a very long time without heat. Mm hmm. That's why I, this is why I feel like it's potentially more than just a day. I don't know for a fact that it would take longer than a day to get black levels of frostbite in your hands. I don't think it would. I guess the mountains are pretty cold. Yeah. And it doesn't mention it on his toes at all because he was walking the whole time. So I'd assume that it just kept warmth in his feet and everything. It just says that she drags his mittens away. Later, they say that he has oh, it on, on his, his feet too. as well yeah i mean yeah it I mean, makes 12 sense. hours of <laughs> not being warm at all right i don't know oh but and that just losing a lot of blood and ugh. and like yeah. thinking of the pain that it would be like i've only ever had like low level frostbite and that hurts when you come inside and it's warm i cannot even picture the pain that heavy of frostbite would feel in the warmth he does say that All of those are pricking with pain, all of his extremities. But later on when he wakes up and he's, you know, slightly more conscious. Mm -hmm. Basically, that pain takes a backseat to the big hole in his back. Right. That's still there because they don't want (laughs) to remove the arrow yet. Right. Because like we said last week, if you remove it. It It can cause way more damage. Yes. A lot more bleeding because right now the arrow is blocking all of the things that has cut. Right. So, Yeah. Rough for Fitz at the moment. Yes. And also more hints at this being the fool. He, number one, makes a mocking joke Mm -hmm. um, with wordplay. Number two is called the Holy One, which we know there is a prophet who is in the mountains right now that people are going to see. So there are signs here that this is the fool. I don't know. I love it. It's just sprinkled in. (laughs) It's interesting. Fitz falls into night eyes when he passes or faints, I guess. And when he wakes up, he's back in himself. So again, night eyes accepts him in, but he didn't fully flee to night eyes, body here. Right. He just escaped him in his dreams. Like he has before in the past, mm-hmm. normally not moving in with him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Fitz wakes up again here and he takes in a little bit more of the dwelling that he is in. He recognizes that it's mountain make, that it's curved walls, simple wooden furniture. On the shelf, two dolls leaned their heads together beside a wooden horse and a tiny cart. A huntsman puppet dangled in a corner. On a table were bits of brightly painted wood. I smelled the clean shavings and the fresh paint. Puppets, I thought. Someone was making puppets. And again, like Emma was saying, More hints here sprinkled in that this is the fool because we've seen him 
have an interest in these tiny trinkets and woodworking when we got a glimpse of his room back at Buckkeep. Right. However, I don't think at Buckkeep he ever does any woodworking. Not I, that we see, at least. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, potentially he does. I do wonder if this is a skill that he learned from like his original family from before Claris. Maybe. It just seems he's so talented at it. And I know that he's older than he seems because the whites as a race age slower than normal. He's what is He's at least 17 years older than Fitz. Right. So like 37, like 37, 36. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know. It's I, he has had a lot more life to live to like learn this skill more adeptly. However, it is interesting to think about, like, is this something that he picked up here in the mountains or mm-hmm. is this something that came from before? And either way, it is something that he carries throughout every persona, I feel, except for Lord Golden, maybe. Yeah, except for Lord Golden, I think. I, I feel like, doesn't he learn this in the mountains from Joffrin, the woman? Maybe, maybe he does. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know. But he's always had an interest in toys and little baubles and dolls in particular. Right. And just brightly painted, beautiful, crafted things. Yeah. So this is honestly a great setting for him in the Mm -hmm. Mountain Kingdom under very terrible circumstances. So Fitz is awake. He hears someone coming towards him, bending down, lifting the blanket off, and hears voices and they're talking about him and inspecting him at the moment. Were he better fleshed, I'd say he had more chance. So thin, said an old woman's voice sadly. Will he keep his toes and fingers? A woman's voice close by. A young woman. I could not see her, but she was near. The other woman bent over me. She handled my hands, bending the fingers and pinching at the ends of them. I winced and tried feebly to pull pull away. If he lives, he'll keep his fingers, she said, not unkindly, but factually. They will be tender, for he must shed all the skin and flesh that was frozen. By themselves, they are not too bad. The infection in his back is what may kill him. There's something inside that wound, an arrowhead and part of the shaft by the look of it. And so this woman is the healer here, and she keeps saying down, if only Jean-Cui were still alive... She would have a better chance because she's the one who took the arrow out of Prince Rurisk's back. Right. Successfully. I am not as skilled as she was, so we'll have to wait for Fitz to get stronger before we can attempt to take the arrow out. So, you know, feed him some medicines, keep a poultice on his back to draw out some of the poisons. In a week, we'll try to take that arrow out. Yes. And this is our first knowledge that John Quee has passed. Mm -hmm. She is the grandmother of Ketrican for a refresher. If anybody is like, that sounds familiar. Who is that? That's who she is. So it's sad to learn that she has passed away, but she was elderly. So it makes sense. It's been like 10 years. No, five years (laughs) since last Fitz was here. Conservatively five years. Yeah, I think. So I think he was a bit younger than that. Than like four. I thought he was like 12 or something, but I could be wrong. He could have been like 14. I don't know. Yeah, it's very hard. About five. We all just guess. We'll leave it at that, about five. So it's sad that she has passed away in this time. 
horrible for Ketrickin, I'm sure, to come back and learn. Hopefully it was before she got back so that yes. she doesn't have to grieve all of this at once. <laughs> but yeah, this new healer is going to try their best and is actually talking pretty straight about what's happening and mm-hmm. not sugarcoating it, which seems kind of to be the way of the mountain people, the mountain kingdom people. But it's also they, they don't know that Fitz is awake at this point either. True. So they're just talking about like, here's what we can do to heal him. Here are his chances. Right. And this person, this healer is also very pragmatic because she has to deal with a bunch of other soldiers that were injured. She says that Cedar Knoll was attacked last night. A bird has come with tidings that many were injured before the soldiers were driven off. I cannot tend one and leave many. I must leave him in your hands. And in my bed, Ivory Hand said dolefully, I heard the door close behind the healer. <laughs> I thought that little line is funny because he mentions it a couple times. Right. <laughs> well, to be fair, we know that fit, uh, that the fool likes his space. Yes. And that he is very like... This is my personal space and I don't want to share it with anybody. Also doesn't know that it's Fitz. <laughs> he does not know it's Fitz. So that doesn't help. But I think even knowing it was it was Fitz would not like help the fact that Fitz is in his space. But maybe a little bit more than just this complete stranger taking his bed. <laughs> right. Right. The mention of this t- attack is the first time we're hearing of any type of actual war that we can trust (laughs) um, between the Mountain Kingdom and Regal's forces. I don't know for sure. I can't remember if we get told later or not if this is the first attack. Not true Um, either. But it seems like things are definitely ramping up, and I don't necessarily know that it's just because Fitz happened to get across. Probably not just because of that, but that probably did not help. No, yeah. <laughs> the soldiers were definitely chasing after him and probably right. searching for him. And they came upon villages and went through the villages looking for him, I would assume. So he takes some breaths. People notice that he is awake. And they were trying to, you know, just get some food into him, basically. Get some sustenance while he's awake. Strengthen him up. Like we said, a week later, if he's strong enough, they'll try to take out the arrow. So this woman, Joffrin, is feeding him and sipping and helping him sip at tea. And he asks where? And she says, what? Leaning closer? Did you say something? And he just has to pass out from expending too much effort after that. Right. So he doesn't know where he is. He wants to know. <laughs> So, quick question. Yes. Do you think that they're all speaking in the mountain tongue right now? Um, It specifies at a later point in the chapter that it was Buck language, I think. The Six Duchies language. Even when she's diagnosing this person? That, I don't know. So, that's, I know later for sure, but, like, I wonder if that's part of why... Joffrin didn't understand that or the part of why fool's voice only sounds somewhat familiar because here it is. It is actually before that. Okay. Can you, cannot you take it out? The arrowhead ivory hand spoke from somewhere in the room. Easily. The woman replied, I realized she was speaking the tongue of buck with a mountain accent. Okay. Okay. So this was when she was diagnosing him and they were conversing about that. So, 
they were speaking in Buck probably for the fool's sake. Mm, well, there goes my theory. I was thinking Fitz wouldn't have ever heard fool talk in mm. mountain language. Yeah. So maybe that's why he didn't. Neither of them are expecting them to be there. That's yeah. true. That's true. And Fitz is also very delirious in shock <laughs> with probably, you know, a couple right. <laughs> liters of blood caught. Yeah. Also, I mean, to be fair, my other assumption was like, oh, well, maybe like <laughs> maybe the fool went through puberty and so his voice is deeper. But he's still older, like even though he is like 17 years older and like aging at a slower rate, he's still like physically older than Fitz, I think. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure we he's... We just don't know about yeah. the whites in general. <laughs> so probably it's not puberty either yeah. <laughs> because he's like looking probably like a 20-year-old at this point. If it's just like 18. Or 19. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or 19. <laughs> so so Fitz uh, wakes up again in the middle of the night. No one is around. He asks for water, but no one's hearing him at all. He looks around a little bit more, and he sees near the hearth that his host, Ivory Hands, had made up a pallet for himself. He slept like a cat, lax, but with an aura of constant wariness. His head was pillowed on his outstretched arm, and the fire glazed him with light. I looked at him, and my heart turned over in my chest. His hair was smoothed back sleek on his skull, confined to a single plait, bearing the clean lines of his face. Expressionless and still, it seemed a chiseled mask. The last trace of boyishness has been burned away, leaving only the clean planes of his lean cheeks and high forehead and long, straight nose. His lips were narrower, his chin firmer than I recalled. The dance of the firelight lent color to his face, staining his white skin with its amber. Little foreshadowing there. <laughs> the fool had grown up in the time we had been apart. It seemed too much change for twelve months, and yet this year had been longer than any in my life. For a time, I simply lay and looked at him. His eyes opened slowly as if I had spoken to him. For a time, he stared back at me without a word. Then a frown creased his brow. He sat up slowly, and I saw that truly he was ivory, his hair the color of fresh ground flower. It was his eyes that stopped my heart and tongue. They caught the firelight yellow as a cat's. I finally found my breath. Fool, I sighed sadly. What have they done to you? My parched mouth could barely shape the words. I reached out my hand to him, but the movement pulled the muscles of my back, and I felt my injury open again. The world tilted and slid away. Ugh. It's... Ugh, they figured out. I really like this description of the fool, and I appreciate the pure imagery we're getting here of someone asleep lounging by a fire. I also think this is the first time we get a really good description of the fool's face. I think so, yeah. Before, I mean, Fitz has gone on and on about how pale white his skin is and how his hair is like dandelion fluff and he has very white eyes. But I don't think we've really gotten descriptors of his actual features. And so it's interesting to know that he, you know 
he's got the I don't know, I guess European royalty look <laughs> about him now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just really like this. Also, for anybody who ships Fool and Fitz together, I did find it interesting that he mentions cat-like, which he only seems to do with women up until this point that he finds attractive. So, <laughs> not saying there's anything there, but... <laughs> <laughs> That is an interesting thing as well, because a lot of the evidence that people put forward that Fitz is deeply in love with the fool as well, despite like mental blocks that he might have, mm -hmm. is his descriptions of the fool right. and how they are so carefully about his appearance and how he acts and everything. And that's not how he describes a lot of other people. Right. It is really interesting. It's almost like to Fitz, the fool is a piece of art that he like is carefully crafting in the viewer's mind eye so as not to, you know, like confuse you as to what he could look like because he's so unique. Right. In some way. I don't know if that's like just what I'm putting on or not, but it, it is really interesting the way Fitz and the fool have such a different relationship to every other person in Fitz's life. Mm-hmm. Well, the fool is different than every that's, other person. <laughs> that's true. The fool is his own person. He comes back to thinking of safety. That was his first clear sensation. Something warm and slightly damp pressed gently on his wound and muffled its stab. Safety clasped me as gently as the cool hands that held my frostbitten hands between them. I opened my eyes and the firelit room slowly swam into focus. He was sitting by my bed. There was a stillness about him that was not repose as he stared past me and into the darkened room. He is dressed in simple white clothes, and to Fitz that is a big contrast because he's used to seeing the fool in motley, in black and white motley at that. Right. So these simple, clean robes and colors in general... To him was like seeing a garish puppet stripped, stripped of its paint. Then a single te silver tear tracked down one cheek beside the narrow nose. I was astonished. Fool? My voice came out as a croak this time. His eyes instantly came to mine, and he dropped to his knees beside me. His breath came and went raggedly in his throat. He snatched up the cup of water and held it to my mouth while I drank. Then he sat it aside to take up my dangling hand. He spoke softly as he did this, more to himself than to me. What have they done to me, Fitz? Gods, what have they done to you to mark you so? What has become of me that I did not even know you, though I carried you in my arms? His cool fingers moved tentatively down my face, tracing the scar and the broken nose. He leaned down suddenly to rest his brow against mine. When I recall how beautiful you were, he whispered brokenly and then fell silent. The warm drip of his tear against my face felt scalding. He sat up abruptly, clearing his throat. He wiped his sleeve across his eyes, a child's gesture that unmanned me even more. I drew a deeper breath and gathered myself. You've changed, I've managed to say. Have I? I imagine I have. How could I not have changed? I thought you dead and all my life for naught. 
than now, this moment, to be given back both you and my life's purpose. I opened my eyes to you and thought my heart would stop, that madness had finally claimed me. Then you spoke my name. Changed, you say? More than you can imagine. As much as you have plainly changed yourself, this night I hardly know myself. It was as close as I had ever heard the fool come to babbling. He took a breath, and his voice cracked on his next words. For a year I have believed you dead, Fitz. For a whole year. So, once again here we are reminded that the fool has not seen Fitz since before the night that he killed Justin and Serene. Right. This is the first time he's seen any of the physical effects that Regal did to him. And he is drastically changed from starvation mm-hmm. and from the effects of, you know, getting shot in the back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and living like a wild man for a full year, basically. Yeah. I always have made comments about how I don't know how you could look at Fitz and not know it's Fitz just by him growing a beard, um, which we do know that he has right now. And Fool always know, knew him as clean shaven. But I do think there's a difference when you aren't expecting him to be alive, which I guess I wasn't really taking into account before, um, because in my mind, the people that are hunting him know he's not dead, so they know what to look for. But with the Fool, he's not looking for Fitz because Fitz can't be seen. Right. And anything that is remotely fits like about him could be written off as, oh, I just miss my friend. But I do also want to say that I think it's really important that the fool is clearly very glad that Fitz has made it. He feels yes. bad for not trusting that Fitz could make it. But Every single time as we continue on that the fool brings up his like future being ruined without uh, without Fitz, he always prefaces it with Fitz being first and foremost the thing that he lost and then his future. Right. And I think that's a super important distinction that the fool isn't necessarily just using Fitz for this greatness that he was born into. It's also Fitz the person that he likes. Mm-hmm. That he loves. That he loves. There are different personalities for different prophets because I know we see in the epigraphs of one of the series, I don't remember which one, it talks about a white prophet as an older man and then the catalyst is a young girl and they're in a an area, a land that has seen a drought for a long, 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 long time. It's basically mm-hmm. becoming a desert and his purpose is to bring what he thinks is to bring water back to this area. And he's trying to teach his young catalyst about things, what to do and all this sort of stuff. And it's pretty stern and almost like fatherly kind of thing. Right. Or like a grumpy uncle (laughs) kind of relationship. And (laughs) she just wants to go out and is fascinated by the local plants that have water inside them themselves. Mm -hmm. And she brings about a new kind of living in that area instead. And that's the big change. But there are different relationships with different prophets, which I find kind of fascinating because it's not like it's destined for the white prophet to love their catalyst or anything like that. Right. They are someone that you just have to use 
and it just so happens that Fitz and the Fool are uh, are great together. Yeah, I think it comes from both of them being othered so strongly. Yes. Yeah, it's so lonely. Yes, and I think that the Fool can see that in Fitz and recognize that and feel pity. And have that pity, like, grow into something more. I think it does get a little precarious because technically, like, we just said not that long ago, Fool is 17 years older than Fitz. But I think that this, like, more romantic feeling isn't super expressed when Fitz is young. He does call him beautiful multiple times. um, But I think you can acknowledge somebody has good looks and not, like... I think this might be the first time that the Fool calls him beautiful. To his face, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, but I think just in general, I don't think it like inherently means that he's like no a creepy person, like a creepy old man hitting on a teenager. I think you can like find someone aesthetically pleasing and be able to separate that from like any romantic feelings you may well, yeah, want to start. Of course, yeah. But yeah, so I think it's like something that definitely develops at least on the fool side for sure as they age. <laughs> but r- as of right now, I think like at most it's like a baby crush, <laughs> at least on f- the fool side, who knows what Fitz is thinking. We don't ever get to know really. So the fool gets up, gets Brandy for both of them, sits down and says, I should have listened to my dreams over and over. I dreamed you were coming. It was all you ever said in that dream. I am coming. Instead, I believed so firmly that I had failed somehow, that the catalyst was dead. I could not even see who you were when I picked you up from the ground. Fool, I said quietly. I wished he would stop speaking. I simply wanted to be safe for a time and think of nothing. He did not understand. Right. This kind of shows that they are very different people and how they (laughs) react. Um, I don't think Fitz is ever a talker, even when he's relieved. <laughs> and Fool seems to talk more when he feels like he's in a safe zone and also when he is relieved. And, <laughs> and so I think it's like a clash of personalities where Fitz just kind of wants to be quiet for a minute. <laughs> and Fool's like, OK, uh, we need to start catching up for old time. Let's talk. He looked at me and grinned his old sly fool's smile. You still don't understand, do you? When word reached us that you were dead, that Regal had killed you, my life ended. It was worse somehow when the pilgrims began to trickle in to hail me as the White Prophet. I knew I was the White Prophet. I've known it since I was a child, as did those who raised me. I grew up knowing that someday I would come north to find you, and that between the two of us we would put time in its proper course. All of my life I knew I would do that. I was not much more than a child when I set out. Alone, I made my way to Buckkeep to seek the catalyst that only I would recognize. And I found you, and I knew you, though you did not know yourself. I watched the ponderous turning of events and marked how each time you were the pebble that shifted that great wheel from its ancient path. I tried to speak to you of it, but you would have none of it. The catalyst? Not you. Oh, no. He laughed almost fondly. He drained off the rest of his brandy at a gulp, then held my cup to my lips. I sipped. I want to talk real quick about him saying, I grew up knowing that some, or excuse me, 
I knew I was the white prophet. I've known it since I was a child, as did those who raised me. I'm not sure. There's two ways I could take this. One is the canon way of taking it and that the fool says a little white lie or a lie to himself to Fitz here. Or Robin Hobb has a plot hole here because the people who raised him said he was not the real white prophet and that the 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 pale woman was. Um I disagree. The people of Claris are not the people who raised him. His parents are. And his parents knew he was a prophet. That's why they took him to Claris. Maybe. So, yeah, that could be Hughes talking about. That's how I took it, because I know that his parents loved him and that they knew he was special. And he talks about how they like were so proud of him and how he was special. So I don't know. I think it's possible that this isn't necessarily a plot hole, that it is just talking about his original parents. Mm, could be. And that he doesn't count the Claris people as raising him. Because he comes really late to Claris. Because you're yeah. supposed to come pretty young in life. And he waits until his parents are, like, on death's door. <laughs> well, they I mean, that's how it works for whites anyways. You're born. Right. Right. Um, to them when they're when your parents are older anyways. But it is meant it is made mention in the later series that he came later than other whites. True. So. So that's why I think it makes sense if it's his fam, his original blood family that he's talking about. It could be, yeah. But I don't know. I also do want to just quick say that the first thing that Fitz said when Fool got to him was, I came to you. And that's what happened in the Fool's dream. <laughs> that he just kept saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. So I think that's really interesting. I also did want to point out that the fact that Fool didn't know Fitz when he touched him is interesting to me because we know that the Fool can like vaguely see the threads of each person's fate. And I'm thinking specifically of when he meets B for the first time. He helps her see that there are threads connected to each person that lead. If you push one person a different way, it leads to a different future. And that's true. So, but that's after he has years of mastering his ability. That's knowing fair. that's like what, 40 years or something. Yeah. After I suppose. This point. And then also he's had the silver on his fingertips. Hmm. Before that and could like be attuned, you know, when he meets B, the silver is cut off. Right. However, before that, he was able to like, that's when he gets the connection with Fitz is when they touch each other with the silvered fingertips. Right. So I'm not sure. I'd have to reread that sequence, but it felt more like the fool was kind of blocked from seeing the futures and stuff like that. And when B touched him or he touched B, they kind of like, like recognized like, and they kind of like exploded the possibilities and around them. Right. Definitely. Cause B couldn't see it before. Right. He touched and he saw again for the first time he mentions when they, but I was wondering if maybe that's like, so maybe you're right. Maybe he hasn't developed that skill. Maybe it is something that inherently happens. Later, could, be. It I could be that the fool just wasn't looking for it. I suppose maybe it's a thing that you can choose to see or not see, and he was too surprised. 
I don't know. All interesting thoughts. So that's just like something that I noticed that I was like, how did he not know? Because wouldn't Fitz be like the only person who has a million little lines (laughs) off of him? (laughs) And so he goes back to Fitz and continues his story. When my king died, as I knew he must, there was an heir to the Farseer line, and Fitz chivalry yet lived, the catalyst that would change all things so that an heir would ascend to the throne. I fled. I fled with Ketrakin and the unborn child grieving, yet confident that all would come to pass as it must, for you were the catalyst. But when word came to us that you were dead, he halted abruptly. His voice had gone thick and lost its music. It made of me a lie. How could I be the white prophet if the catalyst were dead? What could I predict? The changes that could have been, had you lived? What would I be but a witness as the world spun deeper and deeper into ruin? I had no purpose anymore. Your life was more than half of mine, you see. It was in the interweaving of our doings that I existed. Worse, I came to wonder if any part of the world were truly what I believed it. Was I a white prophet at all? Or was it but some peculiar madness, a self-deception to console a freak? For a year, Fitz, a year, I grieved for the friend I had lost, and I grieved for the world that somehow I had doomed. My failure, all of it. And when Ketrickin's child, my last hope, came into the world still in blue, what could it be but my doing somehow? No, the word burst from me with a strength I had not known I had. The fool flinched as if I had struck him. Then, yes, he said simply, carefully taking my hand again. I am sorry. I should have known you did not know. The queen was devastated at the lost, and I, the farseer heir, my last hope crumbled away. I had held myself together, telling myself, well, if the child lives and ascends the throne, perhaps that will have been enough. But when she was brought to bed with naught but a dead babe for all her travails, I felt my whole life had been a farce, a sham, an evil jest played on me by time. But now, he closed his eyes a moment, now I find you truly alive. So I live, and again, suddenly, I believe. Once more I know who I am, and who my catalyst is. He laughed aloud, never dreaming how his words chilled my blood. I had no faith. I, the white prophet, did not believe my own foreseeing. Yet here we are, Fitz, and all will still come to pass as it was ever meant to do. It's a uh, passage filled with a lot of news for Fitz, and it fills in a lot of the gaps that first-time readers don't get until this, this, this time around or this scene. Excuse me. We get confirmation here that Ketrickin does miscarry um, from the fool's own point of view here. And he goes in a little bit more to explain, you know, how Ketrickin is faring and, and all of that later on in this chapter. But from his point of view, he did fail. If you guys remember, his specific words and questions to Fitz were, is Molly pregnant? One. And if she is not, then Ketrickin has to be pregnant because I foresee foresee a farseer heir of some sort. And that's what I need. Plus, I need you alive. And with Fitz saying, no, Molly's not pregnant. And then Ketrickin losing her child. His whole vision comes crumpling down. 
Right. There is nothing more of a bright future that he sees. Yeah, this is a really interesting thing that has come to pass where Fitz is needed to change the tides to bring the Farseer air back. I also think that in this telling where the fool is so heartbroken and talking about feeling a failure and that he's a freak and that he was a farce the whole time, I think that is remnant of his time at Claris, of being told, no, of course you're not the true white prophet. The pale woman is. That's not her name, but I can't think of it at the moment. Is it Alistor or something like that? I don't remember. I don't remember either. I, I kept that kept popping in my head, but I'm like, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway, he, he says, was I a white prophet at all? Yeah. And we know later that that is something that he has been plagued with his whole life of. Yes. How do I know that I'm real? And I think that also shows why he and Fitz get along so well and how they are two sides of the same coin where they both feel inadequate and like maybe they cannot live up to what has been put on them. That imposter syndrome a bit. Mm -hmm. Except in Fitz's case, he doesn't really feel like he has any control at all and nothing is his choice, even though he is the one actively making the choices. Whereas with the fool, he has all the insight and knows all of the things, but cannot actively make a single choice to change things. So it's very interesting to see them. And see the differences between them, but also the similarity. Yeah. Two sides of the same coin, pretty much. Yeah. So Fitz is called, is asked by the fool here as the fool kind of says, that's of little import. You know, I'll stop talking about myself. How did you survive? Why did you come here? And he says, Verity calls me. I must go to him. So he lives. Ah. Before I could speak more, he lifts his hands slowly. Tell me all, in order. These are words I have hungered to hear. I must know everything. And so I tried, he says. And this is this is the impatience of the fool. Fitz has literally just like come into consciousness mm-hmm. from from losing a bunch of blood, hearing the uh, the healer woman saying, you know, he might make it. Probably not, though. It's like going to be real tough. Although that was in the morning. This was at night. Yeah. <laughs> he woke up again. He has a bunch of brandy in him, you know. <laughs> so Fitz stumbles through a retelling of the events. He reports to the fool here and makes his way meandering through these stories, kind of recalling where he was and going back and fixing until he gets to Prince Regal's dungeons. So I do just quick want to say that I think it's interesting that it says that he tells where the tale has left off um, until the dungeons, which is odd because the dungeons is like a day after the fool has left. So I don't exactly know what this means. Like, I can't imagine what he's been trying to tell the fool. Maybe just the death of no, because the fool is literally there when Shrewd died. So it would have just been. Him running after Justin and Serene. I think it was I think it was the full full context of that night, pretty much. Okay. So it was, you know, him going to the king's chambers to try to get shrewd out how his king like 
after his king had died and Fitz t- told the fool to go, you know, to right. leave, what happened next kind of thing. Right. And Fitz does say, my strength was small and sometimes I felt myself borne up on my fever so that my words wandered and I could not recall where I had left off my tale of the past year. So I think he he stumbles and wanders and has to re backtrack and stuff. So it takes a little bit, but him talking is taking a lot of strength out of him. So he doesn't get far, but it's probably the night that sticks out most in the fool's head at this point. Right. Of like, how did you get through? Yes. That's fair. It just the way it's worded feels like he's talking for longer about the year as a whole to me. It does. The way I read it. And then it's like, wait, hold on. It can't be the year as a whole because the dungeon is because he specifically says could not recall where I had left off my tale of the past year. Right. And it's literally the first night. Yeah, it's like <laughs> <So>. one <laughs> one night, which I guess does lay credence because Fitz is feverish and he's recovering. He's like not really in the place to be recounting everything that has happened. So maybe he is delirious and is telling things all out of order, but we don't know. We just know that he stops at the Re- at Regal's dungeon. Mm-hmm. And all he can say is he had me beaten and starved. The fool's quick glance at my scarred face and the casting aside of his eyes told me he understood. He, too, had known Regal too well. When he waited to hear more, I shook my head slowly. He nodded, then put a smile on his face. It's all right, Fitz. You are weary. You've already told me what I most long to hear. The rest will keep. For now, I shall tell you of my year. I tried to listen, clinging to the important words, storing them in my heart. There was so much I had wondered for so long. We get confirmed, for first-time readers, we get confirmed what might have been suspected and what Regal bragged about. So Regal had correctly assumed that escape attempt was happening. All of Kedrickin's supplies were taken out of her room, pretty much, and she had to flee with just the clothes on her back. And a cloak that she grabs. And a cloak that she grabbed. She and the fool took Sudi and Ruddy and rode up to uh, Blue Lake, And they were funded on their travels by the fool dressing up and performing in the streets. And they won their way on passage on a ship across Blue Lake. Right. And when the fool was performing on the streets, he had dyed his hair and painted his skin. And it is mentioned that he painted his skin white. Because what better way to blend in than to paint your skin the color that they are looking for? Such a fool thing to do. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah. So, I mean, hey. Crossed the lake with little incident, passed Moon's Eye, and traveled into the mountains. Immediately, Ketrikin had sought her father's aid in finding what had become of Verity. He had indeed passed through jean but nothing had been heard of him since. Ketrikin had put riders on his trail, and even joined in the search herself, but all her hopes had come to grief. They found the site of that battle that Verity and his guards were part of. Right. It's long since over, so it's just bones and wreckage and some odds and ends trinkets cloaks things like that there's not enough skulls to match with piles of bones so they don't know the count of how many people died there right and ketrican comes away finding a a cloak that she remembers packing in verity's stuff wrapped around a skeleton so she assumes that verity has perished 
And this specific cloak is one that she embroidered the buck symbol on. So it's like a special cloak, not just pretty sure that's his cloak. This yeah, is like definitely she's confirmed that this was Verity's cloak. Yes. But of course, Verity is a nice guy. He probably just loaned his cloak out to somebody who needed it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I wonder if he purposely put it on a body. Maybe. So that Regal would stop sending people. Could be. Like, oh, he's dead. There's his cloak, the one yeah. that he always wore. I don't know. That that definitely could be. So she had returned to jean to pendulum between devastated grief and seething rage at Regal's plots. Her fury had solidified into a determination that she would see Verity's child upon the Six Duchies' throne and a fair reign returned to the folk. Those plans had sustained her until the stillbirth of her child. The fool had scarcely seen her since, save to catch glimpses of her pacing through her frozen gardens, her face as still as the snows that overlaid the beds. There was more, shuffled into his account that Sooty and Reddy were both alive and well. Sooty was uh, in full to the young stallion despite her years, and uh, Fitz is kind of shaking his head over that and like <laughs> likes catching those little glimpses of average news as right. well. Also, the fact that that is one of the important details he picks out of this yes. that is, uh, is about the horses. Like, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beric's son through and through. <laughs> <laughs> he does say that Regal was, uh, the fool does say that Regal was doing his best to provoke a war, that roving gangs of bandits that now plague the mountain folk were thought to be in his pay. So that might have been some of the attack that they were talking about before. And they're calling the bandits soldiers because they assume that it's Regal's soldiers that he's right. paying. But I I still can't recall if that is the first actual attack or if it's right. just a bandit attack. A quote unquote bandit attack. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Shipments of grain that had been paid for in spring had never been delivered, nor had the mountain traders been permitted to cross the borders with their wares. Several small villages close to the Six Duchies' border had been found looted and burned with no survivors. King Aod's wrath, slow to stir, was now at white heat. Although the mountain folk had no standing army as such, there was not one inhabitant who would not take up arms at the word of their sacrifice. War was imminent. So again, it sets the stage from the other side, rather than the rumors that we're hearing that, yes, Regal is actually trying to provoke war here, and it's coming. Yeah. Like it is it's on gonna the verge work. of happening because he is just poking and poking and poking at a sleeping bear. It's very interesting to me because we've talked a f- quite a few episodes back now about how Regal isn't as dumb as we always think he is, that there's actually a lot more strategy that goes into what he does. And here the strategy is obvious that he wants them to make the first big move on his side so that his people will rally behind him and feel like they're vindicated in attacking the mountain people, even though it has been Regal's doing this whole time. However, it is a little dumb of him to think he can beat the mountain kingdom. They've never been beaten and it's winter right now. And, (laughs) and his people aren't really soldiers. They're, they're more soldiers than the Mountain Kingdom, but yeah, are, they're not really soldiers. Are they? Like the, yeah, coast, they are. Yeah. the coastal duchies are more world weary, I guess is a good way, because they have constantly had to fend off against raiders. But Fitz constantly mentions that 
the people of the inner duchies are weak farm people. They don't. But he does have a, a large Kingsguard that are trained with weapons and armor. That's fair. They've always had a posting at Moon's Eye with guards. They have a well-funded army as opposed to just nomads. I suppose. Who don't have guards because their lifestyle doesn't need them. Right. But that, I mean, I think that's underestimating how powerful that these nomads are. Oh, I, could yeah. Be. 100%. But yeah. Yeah, like, like I mentioned before, and like the books say again, like countless times, the Mountain Kingdom has never been beaten in battle, even though past kings have tried to take it over. Right. Because it's such difficult land. It's like fighting in Russia in winter. Like, it just right. doesn't work. <laughs> Nobody will be able to win that. Yes, no one wins, and definitely not the attacking, invading army. Right. So... It's foolish on Regal's part, but he does have more firepower technically on his side. That's, I guess. I don't know. It just feels like... With ooh. the Coterie, too, he probably thinks he stands a good chance. That's fair. Although we don't know how susceptible to skill the mountain people are. That feels like more We of, don't know if that's genetic either, though. That's true. We don't know if it runs in peoples or if it's just like random, like some... We just don't know enough about that prelection. That's true. I don't know. And so the fool still uh, re is recounting his story that whole time. And Fitz, again, picks up on some more details about patience. And he learns a little bit more about the Lady of Buckkeep and how she has been holding down the coast and Buckkeep and trying to defend as much as she can. But he also learns that the raiders have gained footing in pretty much all of the duchies along there. Buckkeep has not fallen yet, but... Even though winter has quieted the war, there's battles all the time. And some of the smaller keeps on the coast have even talked about having treaties with the Red Ship Raiders or paying tribute in hopes of avoiding getting forged. They're not the coastal duchies are not going to survive another summer. That's what Chade says. The fool brings up. My tongue was silent as the fool spoke of him. He had come to jean by secret ways in high summer, disguised as an old peddler, but made himself known to the queen when he arrived. The fool had seen him then. War agrees with him, the fool observed. He strides about like a man of twenty. He carries a sword at his hip, and there is fire in his eyes. He was pleased to see how her belly swelled with the farseer air, and they spoke bravely of Verdi's child on the throne. But that was high summer, he sighed. Now I hear he has returned— I believe because the queen has sent word of her stillbirth. I have not been to see him yet. What hope he can offer us now, I do not know. He shook his head. There must be an heir to the farce, your throne, he insisted. Verity must get one. Otherwise, he made a helpless gesture. Why not Regal? Would not a child from his loins suffice? No. His eyes went afar. No, I, I can tell you that quite clearly, yet I cannot tell you why. Only that in all the futures I have seen, he makes no child, not even a bastard. In all times, he reigns as the last farseer and ushers in the dark. So this is the passage I've been waiting for, not so patiently, this whole time. I wonder if Ketrikin would have gotten pregnant if not for Fitz's body being used. Hear me out. <laughs> 
Her pregnancy did not last. And there are a lot of factors in pregnancy that can make them not viable. But one of those factors could be genetics from the father's side. It could be. I'm... And I don't want to speculate too much, but I'm more apt to say it's the hard multiple months long journey through the winter and the stress of losing her husband when she was journeying. Up to right. Her I mean, yes. Her so there's like father-in-law dying in front of her. Yes. There's a lot of things <laughs> that like can lead to this, but they kind of had a hard time conceiving anyway. I mean, not a hard time that happened, but like it wasn't immediate. And they seem to have gone at it a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it was like within the first week, you know, like the only week they had together. They had <laughs> more than a week together and they had been together before that. But it, yes. But it does take couples a long time. True. Sometimes. Like it, it's just. I know. I'm just saying that like, I don't know. You're I, just wondering at the possibility. Yes. If yes. maybe Fitz is the only <laughs> And I mean, I guess this is why Fitz is the catalyst, right? So his father married someone and fell in love with someone who could not have children. Right. And Verity, although he was a womanizer, doesn't have any illegitimate children. There is no other fight. Verity isn't described as a womanizer, really. Fitz says he liked to keep the company of buck women. Yes, but not as much as described as Regal is. But Regal's never, I don't know. I have theories about him too. Regal isn't necessarily described as sleeping with women, just wooing women for political gain. And I think there's a difference. And I was wondering if maybe either Regal is impotent (laughs) or maybe he's just gay and doesn't like sleeping with women. He just uses them for his personal gain. I don't see him having a single problem with doing that. If it's for be asexual too, he could. That is also a possibility. But that's I think why the fool doesn't see it in any futures. I don't know. Right. I I went to impotent in my reading of this. Mm. But. I guess I didn't immediately go there because I'm like, you know, actually, the few times we've seen him interact with women, it was all just for something that they could give him in some way, and not like. Because he actually liked them. <laughs> because I don't know if there's any room in his lo- his little heart for love for anyone other than his mother and himself. True. True. Maybe Galen. I don't know. <laughs> Loyalty to Galen, at least. Yeah. They are brother. He counts Galen more as a brother than his other brothers. So I don't know. But anyway, I just thought it was really interesting that part of Fitz's catalystness is that he is the only one who is able to make an heir successfully yeah. because technically <laughs> Verity's son is his heir. Yeah. Not Verity's still farcier, but I don't know. I just find that an interesting detail. Fitz changes the subject because he doesn't want to hear about, you know, the dark ages. If there's no farcier <laughs> heir and things like that. So right. he asks about Kettle and Starling and the fool says, I, haven't heard anyone. No one's come seeking the white prophet since winter closed on us. Of course, I do not know of all who come here. They may be in Jampe, but I have heard nothing of two such as that. He reluctantly added, Bandits prey on roadside travelers now. Perhaps they were delayed. Perhaps they were dead. They had come back for me, and I had sent them on alone. 
bits? I'm all right. Fool, a favor? I like not that tone already. What is it? Tell no one I am here. Tell no one I am alive just yet. Not even Ketrakin to tell her that Verity lives still? Fool, what I have come to do, I intend to do alone. I would not raise false hopes in her. She has endured the news of his death once. If I can bring him back to her, then will be time enough for true rejoicing. I know I ask much. But let me be a stranger you are aiding. Later I may need your aid in obtaining an old map from jean Pei Libraries. But when I leave here, I would go alone. I think this quest is one best accomplished quietly. I glanced aside from him and added, Let Fitzchivalry remain dead. Mostly, it is better so. He adds, Not even Chade should know I am alive. Ool agrees. Reluctantly, but he agrees. Talk falls off, and uh, the bottle of brandy is empty. Doesn't say that it starts out full, but... They have quite a bit of liquor each. Right. (laughs) The fever and the brandy burned in me, he says. I had too many things to think of and too little I could do about any of them. If I lay very still, the pain in my back subsided to a red throb. Too bad you didn't manage to kill Regal, the fool observed suddenly. I know. I tried. As a conspirator and an assassin, I'm a failure. He shrugged for me. You were never really good at it, you know. There was a naivety to you that none of the ugliness could stain, as if you never truly believed in evil. It was what I liked best about you. It was what I missed most when you were dead. I smiled foolishly. A while back, I thought it was my great beauty. For a time, the fool just looked at me. Then he glanced aside and spoke quietly. Unfair. Were I myself, I would have never spoken such words aloud. Still... Ah, Fitz. Perhaps half of it was that you were so unaware of it. Not like Regal. Now there's a pretty man, but he knows it too well. You never see him with his hair tousled or red of the wind on his cheeks. For a moment I felt oddly uncomfortable. Then I said, Nor with an arrow in his back, more is the pity. We both went off into the foolish laughter that only drunks understand. Fitz has his back hurt from laughing and moving around. Yes. And they are kind of wrapping up the evening. Yeah. It's an interesting way to start winding things down in general. Just this like little heartfelt moment of the fool explaining that Fitz never really was a good assassin and that's okay. And that's like, what made him who he is and something that the fool liked about him. And I think that this is a really nice compliment for Fitz to get because even though it's like a little mean that he like was never a good assassin, it's still nice because that's something that Fitz hates most about himself. Right. And so you would think that it would mean a lot to him hearing somebody that he cares about be like, well, sure, you did kill people, but really, you kind of acted like real evil didn't exist. And that's like a big feat for somebody who kills people for a living. So I don't know. It makes him more human. Mm-hmm. And I think I also think this is one of the things that make the fool and Fitz's relationship, friendship or otherwise work so well, because the fool kind of sees Fitz 
at the core of his personhood yeah. in ways that Fitz won't admit to himself and also can't see. You have to be very and, insightful to read the future. I guess. Yeah, I so. suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it's really interesting to get another glimpse at this and just to see what it's like in the minds. This is like a very honest, open time. And one of the very few between these two that isn't, later marred by ill words (laughs) which happens more as they age i guess but i really like this moment between them the fool gets fits comfortable for the night looks into his eyes laid one cool hand along my cheek and then gentled the hair back from my eyes tomorrow he told me gravely we shall be ourselves again the fool and the bastard or the white prophet and the catalyst, if you will. We will have to take up those lives as little as we care for them and fulfill all fate has decreed for us. But for here, for now, just between us two, and for no other reason save I am me and you are you, I tell you this. I am glad, glad that you are alive. To see you take breath puts the breath back in my lungs. If there must be another, my fate is twined around. I am glad it is you. He leaned forward then, and for an instant pressed his brow to mine. Then he breathed a heavy sigh and drew back from me. Go to sleep, boy, he said in a fair imitation of Chade's voice. Tomorrow comes early, and we've work to do. He laughed unevenly. We've the world to save, you and I. And so ends chapter 20. We're getting into the thick of things for book three here. Yeah. We're almost halfway through the book. Well, technically we are. A chapter and a half. Yeah. Halfway through next chapter is technically the halfway point. Yes. There are 41 chapters. Mm -hmm. So. So I guess on this will release on Friday. So what on like Tuesday or something like that is halfway through this (laughs) (laughs) this book. Sure, I suppose. So if you listen to this on a Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's the reunion between the two of them, you know? It is. It is painting up the picture of what has happened since last we saw the fool, what the world has gone through without Fitz knowing, at least Fitz's world. It's good to fill in the blanks to know for for sure what has happened. And there is sadness and things that have happened that are not great. But we know that at least there is hope again. And I think hope is something that's very underrated and highlighted a lot in this series as being a powerful tool. Hope is what saves a lot of the duchies people from the brink throughout. And I think this chapter really catches a lot of that because we get to see the fool and his hope renewed and how excited that makes him. And also we get to see a happy reunion for Fitz. I don't know why Fitz never thought about 
the fool whenever he was picturing reunions with people that he knew from before. Maybe because he knew that the fool would never reject him. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe not. But his whole fear is that people who knew him before he died will be horrified to know that he lives. And here we have the fool who is so happy that he was wrong, that Fitz was dead. And it makes me so sad because Fitz doesn't really learn any lessons from this. He's like, (laughs) "Eh, just keep me dead to other people. Let's let them suffer for more years. (laughs) What's a few more. And so that, that part makes me a little sad, but I do think overall this chapter has a lot of hope in it. And I really appreciate that about this, especially after last chapter. Yeah, I do like this chapter, but I feel like even though it's probably been a couple days since he was taken into the hut and everything, I feel like it's just too soon to have him awake and drinking a quarter bottle of brandy and like talking late into the night. I just I don't know. I, I praise this book and Robin Hobbs writing for being super realistic about injuries and consequences But this chapter to me just seems like Fitz is hanging on too long, despite the descriptions of I was super weak and wandered throughout all these things. They just they have so many so much talk about so many different things that I feel like I don't know. It's a lot. To be fair, I don't think Fitz drank a ton, like maybe one glass. But I think mostly the drinking was being done by the fool. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So. I don't. The fool can hold his liquor. That's for sure. Yes. And Fitz has not had anything to drink in like, I don't know, six months at least. So. <laughs> He's had ale here and there, you know, at different villages. I, spo- I suppose. And, in uh, Blue Lake. Yeah, that's fair. But he was like getting a little tipsy off that. So I don't know. I don't think he's like equally matching no, <laughs> the fool drink not. for drink. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We really appreciate everyone tuning in, hearing our thoughts, and telling your thoughts back to us on our social medias, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, where it is Fits Happy on all of those. You can find those links on our website, isfitshappy.com, or you can email us directly at isfitshappy at gmail.com. Shoot us a, shoot us a message. We'll get back to you. We'll uh, talk about your thoughts here, probably. <laughs> Yeah, unless he tells you don't want us to, and then we will respect your privacy. Um, Otherwise, yeah, we always enjoy hearing from you guys and would love to know your thoughts on Fitz and Fool not recognizing each other immediately. Okay, so we only have one kind of question for this episode, and it comes from our lovely friend Ellen. They asked us about what our opinions are on the finding of Verity's bones by Ketrickin. Yeah, and that battle in general. Right. And just, you know, what is going on? Is this about the skills? Are who were the attackers? Who, yeah, who are the attackers? How does this fit into Regal's plans? Is this just getting rid of Big Brother soon after he had left? Or was this um, a play at trying to get to the Stone Dragons so that they could make their own? Um, and this is something that we have, I believe, talked about before and covered. And we hypothesized and pretty much confidently knew that Regal sent out 
people when Verity left to ambush him and attack him. Right. And this is uh, the same battle that Fitz had a skill dreaming of as well. Right. So this is interesting because we know there are multiple assassination attempts on Verity. Um, It's unclear if this is the battle that happens that Regal knows about immediately. And that's the one where he first says that Verity has died. That's where Beerit comes back, right? Yes. So it's not quite clear if that's this battle or if this is another one, because we know that Verity does survive all of them (laughs) and that he doesn't immediately send his people away. He just sends most of them back after the first one. I think, yeah, it's it's hard to tell because we don't get counts of anybody. But I think that this would be either that very first one, probably the second, though. That's what my thoughts are, because I believe they didn't get too far into the Mountain Kingdom or even across the lines before Beric got sent back. Because it was brigands, quote unquote, who attacked them. Right. And so. then he goes on with some more, um, turning away everyone who was injured and keeping the ones who were not, which included Hod, I mm-hmm. believe. And they had a second battle that Fitz dreamed of afterwards. Right. Where so. I believe this was that site of that battle. Yeah. So the, the attackers first attacked them, withdrew reorganized and, and went after. Yeah. And again. we don't know if these are the same attackers that right. attacked the first time. They could be new assassins sent. But either way, we can tell that Regal is not very good at picking out competent killers because they failed. They did kill people, but not the right person they were assigned to. So <laughs> yes. also unclear if any of them made it out alive. Yeah, it's very unclear. We don't get details about exactly their findings or or anything like that. So so. it is a really good question and a good refresher, just in case other people were also wondering, like, wait, what is going on with the bodies? Mm -hmm. Just as a refresher, definitely something that there are a couple different mentions of. So I think it's safe to say it's one of those attempts and not anything to do with the skill dragon. I think the upping the ante on trying to start a war is about getting closer to being able to freely go make a skill dragon. But who knows? Yes. Yeah. But the Verity attempts were before all that. And I'm almost positive just Regal trying to get rid of Verity. Right. Because he sees a good opportunity to grab next in line for the throne after Shrewd dies. Exactly. Yeah. So that is a great question. And thank you so much for asking it, Ellen. And as always, we enjoy hearing from everybody. We are excited to hear from you next week. 